Hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Investigative Economics Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Llewellyn Jones. Today is uh, episode four, uh, inflation. Uh, yeah, that inflation is a hot topic these days, of course, um, as is, we've seen the, the the rise of inflation far above uh, just about any year recent up until like the, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and the obvious uh, explanation about all that is, of course, you know, the pandemic, all the pandemic spending, uh, plus the Russia-Ukraine war leading to high gas prices. It's kind of just sort of apparent there that, you know, with the, the government spending so much money and gas prices rising, well, not only is that leading to more money in the economy and high, high prices for commodities, gas goes into a lot of different things. And that's why inflation is rising so much. And that is well, that is sort of true, uh, but there's a lot going on underneath the surface and a lot that has happened over the last 20 years to put a lot of context in that. And we'll also uh, take a look at some uh, some of the myths surrounding uh, inflation, uh, particularly with, uh, as I mentioned, about gas prices, that is that gas prices drive inflation. And whether that's true or not, or to what degree that's true or not, I should say more specifically, uh, we'll get into. And um, we'll start off uh, with the most recent story. We're talking about uh, the that in general, uh, to talk about inflation, you have to sort of take it into context that over the last 20 years, inflation is, was a steady 2 to 3% per year. There's almost a straight line going up. There's... What happened in the 70s and the 80s was a different story, but since then, it's almost just been a slow and steady race to the top. Not too crazy, but just a little bit, just because it's gonna, any economy is going to have some amount of inflation. But if you look at things, uh, commodity uh, spending on a per category basis, it's, it's been anything but consistent. That is, if you look at food spending, and this is uh, based on Bureau of Labor Statistics data uh, for expenditures by their household surveys, how much a house, an average household is spending on food uh, each month or each year. And it was going down. And there was massive uh, deflation in food prices. And the, you know, the general explanation for this, there's a lot of detail to this, and we don't get into all of the detail to this, but it is that, uh, that, that we're seeing a lot of the deflation was driven by imports of uh, food price imports, whether it's from Mexico and Canada or China or any other country, or, you know, like if you ever see, you know, avocados from Peru and all the fruit that comes from Chile and all these other places, and that that's, you know, a very recent thing that's, uh, it's been enabled uh, by the sort of global economy and that, you know, we've just got these economies of scale and that it made shipping things from across the world much, much cheaper. Um, plus all of the things that, you know, sort of China is doing to sort of expand its markets and to, to sell in the U S that it makes, you know, it, these prices for international foods in the U S much cheaper. And it was uh, driving down the cost of food in general. And that, you know, to compete with these prices, domestic producers are lowering their prices. I mean, that's a, a sort of general explanation of it. There's a lot of other things probably going on in every different uh, aspect of food prices. Um, and like, and we, we'll talk about uh, beef prices as well. That's like a big one or meat prices in general. 
but that that was pushing down food uh, food price inflation quite considerably and that you know everybody kind of knows this that the food is yeah, at the grocery store has generally been cheaper than or at least growing in changes in food prices had been much lower than they had been in previous in previous times going back and this is for mainly 2000 to 2020 that we're talking about the time period and uh but food doesn't really factor into general inflation the what what we consider like what affects the dollar value um food and gasoline and other energy uh expenditures are not included in CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which affects the dollar value. It's just generally considered too volatile, like particularly gas prices just go up and down all over the place. And if we follow those affected it, uh, then inflation would just go up and down as well. Um, and so they just ignore those and say, we'll just focus on the things that are a bit more consistent. Um, but it's still a major thing just because it doesn't affect the dollar value. It affects, you know, people's livelihoods, especially producers that, um, if the, you know, the value of the dollar is deflating and, you know, they have to sell their goods at a lower price, then they're making less money and they have less money to buy all the other things that are going up in price. So it's, it's a major issue, particularly for, you know, you know, farmers, agricultural, anybody uh, related into the uh, food price chain, as it were. The other ones going into that, like the ones that really stand out are, you know, healthcare. Healthcare gets a lot of attention for, you know, drug prices, medical care prices are just through the roof and they probably are, um, but spending on a consumer level for them has not really gone up that much. It's gone up just kind of mainly not too far away from inflation uh, rates, but it, it's uh, it's only since 2012 that it's health insurance that's gone through the roof. Uh, and of course, the obvious explanation for that is 2012 is, you know, Obamacare Act. Uh, and a lot of people started buying their own insurance uh, on the marketplace, uh, you know, or otherwise. And that that just wasn't happening in, in such a scale as it was before. The individual mandate is kind of, you know, disappeared a little bit. Who knows if it'll be back or not? But people are still buying insurance in a, a way they weren't before, and that's actually driven. That's the driver of of me, uh, healthcare prices. Drugs and medical care might be are probably on average going up a lot. But I, I'm guessing, and this the story doesn't get into the actual where the pricing, uh, if you know where that is coming from but it really my best guess is that it's that's the sticker price that's paid by insurance companies and the government's uh, you know uh, medicare medicaid any other sort of third party uh, uh payers are paying might be paying those super high prices for the high higher expensive drugs and but it's not making its way down to the consumer i mean essentially if they're buying insurance maybe it is now uh and that insurance prices have gone up um, with a lot of like the premiums have been, have, haven't gone up. Um, but those, you know, it's two separate things and, you know, maybe that's a, that's a topic for another story to get into like, you know, just how much is being paid overall, the pool of money being paid for medical care. Uh, that'd be interesting to get into, but just for, just so everybody knows that, but what's coming out of people's pockets for spending into drugs and medical care has not been going up, just health insurance. And it definitely went up by a lot. 
Some other ones, uh, you know, some of these are pretty obvious. Education uh, has essentially, you know, the cost that people are paying for education, mainly, you know, student loans and any other kind of uh, education like that is doubled. And that really uh, coincides with what everybody knows about education, that tuition has gone up uh, over the last, you know, 30, 40 years quite considerably. Um I mean, some of that is we already know that tuition had gone up because the feds had uh, pulled back their funding of higher education uh, that, you know, it used to be so, so much cheaper, you know, used to be, you know, a lot of the public universities, it would be 5,000, 10,000 for, you know, four years sometimes, depending on which school uh, and whether in state or out of state, of course. But uh, not only have, have they pulled away from that, but um and that uh, students are having to pay the full cost or, or, you know, lean on scholarships a lot more, but the prices keep going up from there. So uh, school is getting more expensive. And that's another one that's worth uh, some more diving into is like, you know, why exactly, where's all that money going? Is it just simply replacing what the, the feds and the states uh, are not, no longer subsidizing for higher education or something else going on? Where, where is, are, are students funding something else? Is it the research aspects of the university are just sort of that much more expensive? Anyhow, that, that's for another story. Um, some of the other aspects of inflation that have gone up uh, compared to other ones that vehicle spending uh, had collapsed. That was also another deflationary uh, commodity uh, since 2000, but has since sort of recouped and now they're sort of back in line with inflation. And that one's got to be also, again, uh, cheap imports. A lot of imports coming from uh, through Mexico, uh, some of it, you know, built in Mexico, a lot of domestic and uh, international, you know, auto companies uh, having their production in nearby countries, some of it's in Canada. Uh, or maybe it's partially uh, pr production is in these countries, and then they, it's shipped into the U.S. from there. Um, you know, I think that's also sort of like a NAFTA result right there. Um, and a lot of that has uh, disappeared in the last, uh, you know, 10 years uh, since 2010 that it's come in line with inflation again. You know, some of that might have to do with the, the recent tariffs. Uh, it's really hard to sort of parse out from the data there, that would also have to be another story just because there's a lot going on in there uh, to sort of lean it, say it's one thing, it's tariffs or something else going on um, or, you know, currency prices, that sort of thing. But the, the, just something to watch out for. Just And again, this is story is all about the volatility and commodity inflation that like certain things are going up, certain things are going down. Another one that's going up uh, is water bills. Oh man, water bills are sort of through the roof and a lot of people already know this. And that is mainly related to a lot of the cities having uh, growing populations in the cities. And a lot of the cities really did had to revamp their water systems. I know in Washington, DC, that was a huge thing. Oh, they had all the lead pipes replaced and they have to, they're building this giant uh, reservoir underground to uh, deal with the sewer, sewer runoff. Um, I know the other cities you hear about uh, Jackson, Mississippi, having to deal with its own issues right now. Uh, you know, Detroit or, or sorry, Flint, Michigan. Um, and that a lot of these, these cities, uh, some, sometimes not driven by, you know, massive influx of population, but they just, this, their, their infrastructure was way out of date and they needed to upgrade it. Uh, 
another thing that happened was between 2012 and 2014, there were a number of droughts in certain areas out in the West, uh, and that drove water prices much higher. Um, and yeah, just that's that's that one utility. You, you hear a lot of stuff about electricity, and you know, there's so much money involved in electricity that you know, in general, your your electricity bill is a lot higher than your water bill. But it hasn't changed that much. Uh, you know, I think there's the cheaper natural gas uh, is, is actually caused a little bit of deflation there. But in, in, in general, utilities, not that big of an issue. The other one is uh, for housing prices. You'll see um, that uh, it's rent, rent and property taxes. And that's, of course, you know, the sort of higher home prices, uh, higher, higher rental prices that are happening throughout cities. Now, um, they don't they don't show any high prices for, uh, you know, mortgages paid or, you know, home ownership. That doesn't seem to be uh, a high expenditure for that's listed in the data. But there is something there's something complicated about that, that like. Well, for one, a for you know just general inflation CPI, they only include owner equivalent rent, so they don't. They assume that if you buy a house, that's an investment, um, and that you only consider what the rent you would pay on that house is, not your mortgage payment. It's a little complicated, a little crazy. Some people disagree with it, but um, I think I, I kind of see why they do it. You know, just get away from pe- a lot of people do just buy houses as investments and they might overpay now so that even if they wouldn't get that much rent right now because they know they'll make money down the road anyhow in in all of the metrics that they have for uh housing costs shelter costs they don't show much of a huge uh jump in for uh, home ownership costs um i think there's a little something else going on there maybe but you know Maybe people aren't paying that much for their mortgages, or they're, it, it's all balancing out somehow. That's that. That also might be another one for for future investigation. Um, but and, and there's some other things like appliances have gone up, but household supplies like cleaning supplies have gone down. Some other kind of quirky ones that, that we there wasn't an abrupt explanation for as we publish, but again, some good fodder for future uh, reference. Um, but moving on, uh, another, another story published uh, is all about the dollar index. Um, and that this is one of the first myths we'll, we'll tackle in this uh, episode is that inflation is going up quite a bit. Um, and you think that the expectation, the general assumption is when there's big infl- inflation, that means it, you're deflating your currency. You're devaluing your currency compared to other ones. That if you're, the dollar is worth less in the U.S., then it's worth less compared to the peso, the euro, the, uh, the pound, that sort of thing. But it's more complicated than that. Uh, and a lot of times that is true. Like, you know, if you talk about like Venezuela, when they, when inflation in Venezuela was just like going nuts, you know, like a thousand percent a few years ago, um, then it also led to devaluing of the currency. If you wanted to buy uh, the Venezuelan Bolivar, it was now like a, a thousand Bolivars to the dollar or even more, or Zimbabwe or something like that. Um, 
that when you, uh, you flood the country with your currency, it becomes worthless domestically and internationally. But not with the dollar this time, at least. That the dollar indexes, like compared to all these other currencies, most other currencies, some of them it's like changed. It's been lower than, but like the major currencies that uh, that define the the sort of the the dollar index. You're talking about the yen, the euro, things that the currencies that uh, the U.S. deals with when in trade a lot. We trade a lot with Europe. We trade a lot with Japan. Trade a lot with China. You know, the yuan is another one. Um, that all these major currencies, the Canadian dollar, uh, the Mexican peso, uh, the British pound, these are the ones that mean the most. But the dollar is kind of still strong. We still have a strong dollar despite all of that. And, and part of that is to deal with uh, the fact that a lot of these other currencies have also been devaluing, that a lot of people, they have been inflating their currency, like Japan in particular. They don't, they don't do it a lot, but they over 2021, 2022, they were doing a, a decent amount more than they usually do. And same with uh, Britain and the, and the pound, and that, that they're doing it at the same time we are. Maybe not to the same degree as the United States, but they're still doing it. But what's actually more important, what's more of an effect, is that um, oil prices, that, that the dollar being you know the reserve currency of the world for the most part, uh, and because of its ties to oil, oil uh, sales, uh, uh, the global oil trade, that it, it, the oil prices are propping up the dollar prices. Um, that, uh, that so much as people want to get their money in dollars to be able to trade in oil, which is all, most oil is traded in dollars, um, that they, people are buying into the dollar and they are, you know, and the U S is willing to still sell it at a high price and that, and more people buying into it sort of drives up the price. And that counter affects any sort of effect that inflation was having. So dollar is still strong. I mean, this is this is a complicated thing because you know a lot of manufacturers for years have been like complaining about the strong dollar and that you know the reason why the U.S. can't sell you know its manufactured goods in other countries is because the strong dollar means that uh, you know to trade into you know the U.S. currency. It, you you get fewer dollars than you would, uh, you know, if you have, you have if you had a thousand dollars, a thousand pesos, and you're trying to buy dollars before, and then now you try and buy it, you're getting less, uh, fewer dollars for your thousand pesos, uh, and so that means that, uh, um, you know, the cost of buying American goods is more expensive, but. What's, you know, what's still, and that's a problem for the manufacturers and things like that, but it has still has been good for the U.S. overall because, uh, because the oil, U.S. has been selling so much oil and gas uh, to the world now that Russia is not providing it. All these sanctions have cut off Russia. And so that oil prices are high and uh, the U.S. is selling a lot more of it at a higher price. So, and to be honest, and a lot of other prices have already gone up for other reasons unrelated to currency values. You're talking about like, you know, coal prices are up, um, steel prices are up. Uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the tariffs and things like that. So the strong dollar is not necessarily a, a, a terrible thing right now. 
you know, uh, considering all the other things that are happening. Uh, so, you know, that's still, it, it, it all maybe kind of works out, but it's sort of good to know that, you know, there's a lot more things that are happening besides inflation that affect currency values. Um, the other myth we're going to get into, and I think this one is a longstanding one. If you, you Google online about that gas prices drive inflation, and this is another one that you might kind of assume that, oh, that's true, that like, you know, gas is in, in integral to every part of the economy. You know, if you need to move anything anywhere, it takes gasoline or some type of oil in some way, shape or form, even if it's by train or it's by plane, you're got to get, you need that energy to move it around. It, it affects all these other uh, manufacturing concerns, you know, if, whether you're making something out of plastic, which is petroleum based and therefore made out of oil. Um, and that, uh, that oil and gas contributed to inflation, but, uh, in general, that's really not that true. That uh, that, and this is something that uh, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve said back in March that that uh, every ten dollar increase in a barrel of oil leads to a 0.2 percent increase in inflation. Um, and just that, in general, that's a lot of times that is very much not true. Oil is very volatile, and over in the price that is, and it is also volatile as a substance explodes very easily. Uh, but over the last 20 years, as I mentioned before, that inflation in the U.S. has been steady, uh, steady, as a, steady as a rock, uh, 2 to 3% every year uh, up until these last couple of years. And that, but oil prices have gone all over the place. Um, you know, you got the shale boom, uh, like shot, uh, you know, prices collapse from there, from the just the volume that we were producing. And you didn't see any sort of massive price, uh, currency or uh, deflation at that moment. And other times that, you know, prices shot up and you didn't see massive spikes in inflation. I mean, what Powell might actually be saying is, is kind of true. But if you kind of parse it, you kind of realize, well, a $10 increase in a barrel of oil is a lot. But a 2.2% increase in inflation, that's not that much. So, I mean, there might be some truth to what he's saying. But it's like that, well, it's almost negligible. It's like there's so many other things that uh, that contribute to inflation at a much greater level. I mean, for some people in some parts, if you're a trucker and, you know, the price of oil and gasoline goes up, you know, doubles, that's a big deal. I mean, that's like you're one of your biggest costs right there. But for the economy as a whole, uh, it's not as big of a thing. You know, it's something that like a lot of it gets a lot of attention in news, like uh, you listen to the radio. I mean, it's something that you know, somebody sees the price of every day, you know, in these in giant signs at gas stations. But in general, you know, it's not as big a deal as one might think, at least for inflation. Uh, you know, and again, you know, some there's some parts of the economy, it is definitely is a big thing. Um, but overall, to contribute to inflation, it's it's not as big of a deal. Uh, we, we also published another story about the food price inflation came, coming way before 2021. So that's all about, and this, this we already kind of already covered this, that, it, that food price deflation was happening earlier. And in, in the lat, before 2021, it was actually catching back up to inflation. 
And uh, yeah, there wasn't, that wasn't necessarily um, the pandemic and, you know, the Russia Ukraine war driving that inflation that uh, something else was happening. Just it, it could be the tariffs, could be something else, but it, that just something that people didn't know about that the in, price inflation was happening way beforehand. And I'd also say that there's a possibility that this is sort of like a part of it is gentrification of in cities of, you know, people paying more in cities as opposed to rural locations uh, for food and all these other uh, amenities. Um, you, what in this story, it actually gets into the discrepancy between food uh, expenditures by lower incomes versus higher incomes. And a lot of the inflation was in the higher incomes, um, which kind of aligns with, you know, maybe that's some of the, you know, urban uh, spenders versus rural, poor rural spenders on food. Um, But in general, you know, again, that's following all this massive deflation of of prices. Also talked about um, uh, the spread in beef prices, uh, which ties into all this food inflation that, um, you know, a lot of attention gets paid to the, the beef monopoly the big four, JBS, Tyson's, um, and, and, and then the two others, uh, whose names I'm forgetting just off the hand, uh, I'll admit it. Um, but that, you know, they control the beef market and they set the prices and all these other things. And if you look back in the history, you'll see like a lot more accusations back in the 80s about uh, people like there's there's this book. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It gets into how consolidation of the beef and the milk industry uh in the in the 80s and that like uh some of these the larger businesses uh would pay people to buy uh cellular telephones when nobody had cellular phones you know, like the giant bulky ones and what they would u- they used it for is to communicate uh beef prices right at the auction and so they would get a ha- a leg up on all the small buyers and that they would get pushed out and that so that they could know like, oh, they could go a lot cheaper or go higher, that sort of thing. And uh, they able to corner the market and push out the small buyers and just consolidate everything until it was just four companies left. And while that's, you know, you know, maybe a little strategic or ruthless, depending on who you are. Um, but it, what it is, it, what they don't talk, it gets enough attention is that beef prices uh have not gone up that much. There's been general uh, deflation in beef prices and that who's been actually getting the bulk of the money from the beef sales is retail. Retail is taking a much, much larger and larger chunk uh, out of what's paid for beef prices. Like if the price is going up, it's not going to the producers, it's going to the grocery stores. And that while, you know, these, these four companies, you know, able to sort of crowd out uh, the little guys, they're, and the money that they're making is, is essentially based on, um, on quantity um, and that they have to keep it cheap because otherwise they're not making any money uh, cheap on the producer side. Um, and that, uh, but the grocery stores are taking such a large chunk of it, a much larger, a growing uh, percentage. Uh, I wish I had the numbers. I, I should have written them down. But uh, that uh, that you kind of wonder. Well, maybe it's not the 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 big four aren't the problem. Maybe it's the 
you know, these massive grocery conglomerates, some of them which are European owned uh, in the U.S. Uh, and um, and the which I mean, if you were a cattle uh, rancher, which is uh, the group that's usually uh, the most been the most vocal about um, the monopolies, that these ranchers who are not making a lot of money and a lot of them have gone out of business and they're all a lot of them complaining about the sort of international aspect of like uh, Canadian Mexico Mexican cattle coming into the U.S. Maybe they also need to sort of start focusing on the retail end uh, for their some of their complaints. But then again, you know, I don't know exactly. Um, you know, maybe there's some reason for the you know the retail price uh, growth there. Okay, another myth on inflation we'll get into here is that, again, I'll repeat a, a, too many times here, is that inflation has been steady 2 to 3% over the last 20 years, but the money supply, the monetary supply in the U.S. has gone crazy, especially following the financial crisis, that the U.S., essentially brought in a lot more money into the economy uh, to, you know, to prop up all those, those companies that were, you know, collapsing uh, due to, you know, mortgage-backed securities and all that stuff. Um, and that, you know, the, the assumption is that M2, uh, the, the monetary supply, which is sort of, it's a, a measure of how much money is in, this, in the system, not just, uh, you know, just dollar bills and coins, but sort of, you know, debt and uh, everything that's on the books of the Federal Reserve, and that uh, that that all all that money that's available from you know to be able to be lent or just cashed out as dollars, that's how much money's available in in, in the economy. And then there's that's M zero is the currency. M two, M one and M two are different versions of that that uh, include uh, you know, uh, and it's supposed to be. You know the total value of everything that's in the economy. These, are, you know, they're in ways kind of estimates of that. But and then there's there's other values uh, metrics in there, and that the assumption is that when there's more money in the economy, uh, that leads to more inflation. And if you think about places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, or you know oh, Weimar Germany or Hungary around that same time, um, that when you there's just when you flood the you know the economy with currency uh that everything just becomes it, it costs a lot more to buy anything to you cost a thousand dollars for a bus ticket or um you know an apple is fifty dollars um just because a dollar is worth less so you need a lot more of them to buy something simple and but that wasn't the case uh that inflation didn't budge when all this money was coming into the economy. And I mean, the, you know, to speculate on why that is, because that, that is, you know, the equation of exchange. That's a, you know, primary economic theory right there, um, is that it either it's just not making its way into the economy in general, that it's state when it's that money that was coming out of the financial crisis being sort of lent out by the Federal Reserve is just not making its way into ordinary uh, markets. You know, it's not like making its way to, you know, to, you know, average schmoes, working class folks that have, you know, it's not falling into their bank accounts. It might be going into a lot of other places, a lot of investment and all that sort of thing, but it's not sort of 
spreading throughout the economy, at least enough to affect the inflation. Um, I mean, that's just a sort of a theory. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, the, the criticism of trickle down economics. I mean, I would say that, you know, it makes its way into certain things. I imagine there's, you know, a lot of the investment in construction in cities is probably driven by a lot of that, uh, of that mo- money coming into the economy. But, uh, but it is, it does, it's not affecting inflation. It's, it might be, you know, driving development and production and manufacturing and things like that. But it might be leading to more jobs and things like that, but it's not like sort of, it doesn't lead to, it's not the same thing as a giant increase in M zero, otherwise known as, you know, just pure currency. If, if it was in, uh, if dollars are being printed at the same rate that, um, because all of that money coming into the economy right then was all from borrowing through the federal reserve. It's like they're selling treasuries to bring money in, uh, out of the bank vaults and into, and not actual bank vaults. It's all just sort of, you know, numbers in a computer, but it's, it's getting into the economy that way. Um, and it's not actual, the printing press, all these, if you follow any finance guys on Twitter or anywhere, all they talk about is the, you know, federal reserve printing money, you know, you know, a dollar machine goes burr or whatever, but that's actually not what's happening. That's, uh, um, or at least that wasn't happening during the financial crisis. I mean, they, they do print money on a regular basis and that's always the case. To, to replace money that gets destroyed or disappears from the economy. And sometimes it goes up a little bit more than other times, but not that much, um, not any way that you really notice. And that it's all just, and that's the case with the current situation with the pandemic is that they're borrowing a lot of money, getting it more currently. And we talked about this in another story is that rather previously they're borrowing money a lot of times from China and Japan uh, this time around, it's more money coming in from Europe, um, uh, and that that's where uh, and that's where the you know that's that's boosting the monetary supply, the M two. Um, but again, uh, that doesn't seem to be infl- affecting inflation this time. Uh, that is now this time it's the PPP is a little bit different because it's not uh, that's not you know funding, you know, investment in the finance world, this is injecting money directly into the pockets of everybody. And that definitely seems to be affecting inflation. So it it didn't affect things, didn't affect inflation during the financial crisis, but it is now. And it's just how it gets distributed. Um, One other other story uh, we'll talk about here is that how inflation, Infects affects short-term metrics for the economy. In particular one is GDP, because um, there were a lot of stories that came out in the first quarter of 2022 saying productivity has dropped, um, and like huge drop from the pandemic. You know, people just aren't going back to work, and it was at the same time that inflation uh, had jumped. And that what they were talking about was real GDP, real like GDP when adjusted for um, the value of the dollar means that it had gone down. People weren't buying as much. The, the dollar is too, it was overpriced. Uh, 
Therefore, people weren't buying American-made goods. Inflation had gone too high. It caused all these, these problems. But if you look at it, GDP has, uh, you know, since that, that inflation has come back, that, uh, that that adjustment right there, that real GDP as opposed to regular GDP, which is just, you know, the total numbers of spending and, uh, and, and trade all just combined together, that has been sort of on a steady course up as it always has been, maybe a little bit higher even. But when you adjust it for, um, when you make that adjustment, that's when it, it, it declines. And that's really just because you're making that adjustment for the value of the dollar. And so, I mean, of course, you are making that adjustment because uh, the value of the dollar has changed and things are more expensive. But you have to realize that these, these, these calculations are not, uh, you know, they, they're not like immediate. They're not precise. That like when inflation goes up, that's, you know, from, you know, uh, based on the, the survey data that BLS has, their estimates uh, and that, you know, people have just changed their prices and that, you know, that doesn't, uh, those don't affect the, uh, you know, GDP immediately, that there's a sort of a transition period uh, that has to happen. That like when, when inflation goes up, that, that adjustment for real GDP happens immediately, but inflation in general you know, sort of has it takes time for it to wind its way into all the prices of all the products that are available. But what you see is you just see this this sudden collapse in in GDP and labor values and trade metrics just because the of the inflation changes right then. But if you ignore that that little the dip when inflation changes then GDP has just been kind of constant. And it's not like some slowdown. It's not stagflation. There doesn't appear, and since then, if you do metrics by just industrial output, you'll see no dip. That industrial output has been smooth and steady, if not going up, because there's been this uh, investment in the economy. Um, So it's not like people are just giving up their jobs because money is worthless now. That's not the not not the case, and that's probably also wasn't the case for stagflation in the seventies, and that that you know the seventies that's when all of these sort of myths got started. That there was a time when stagflation being huge inflation without development, without production, that there's a lot of money being spent, but people aren't producing anything. And that, you know, that was just be like, people are just getting lazy. They're sitting on their hands. They're not doing anything. And it's just probably not the case. That is just like that, that there's a lot of money going around from, you know, more money into the economy. But when you adjust it for, when you adjust uh, these production numbers for that, uh, that amount of money in the economy, it, it makes it look like production has fallen. Uh, but it, Production doesn't stop. In fact, they're getting more money. They may have to think about it a little bit and, and realize that you know they're they're getting more money because more money's money the value of money is going down a little bit. But people won't stop production because of that. Only during like maybe hyperinflation, where people are just sort of like, well, oh now my it doesn't really matter if I produce because I'll have to produce at ten thousand times the rate. 
and even then, I don't think that's we've seen that. That's a whole nother story to say if like does Venezuela's oil output have anything to do with uh, their deflation of their economy? And there are a lot of accusations there and a lot of myths there. I mean, they've got also got sanctions. It's like uh, nobody's that that's not been proved at all. And that and the other aspect of it is the reason why there was inflation, such high inflation in the 70s. A major part of that was they had to pay for the Vietnam War, that they had racked up a lot of debt. And to sort of deal with that debt, uh, they uh, they um, they uh, put more money into the economy to help. Uh, um, you know, pay off their debts uh, and devalue the currency a little bit. Um, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, like the, things changed quite significantly uh, when to offset that, when they, you know, uh, raised interest rates in the beginning of the late seventies under Carter and then through uh, Reagan, you know, to force a recession to sort of offset some of that inflation Um so that the dollar value would still be strong, so it would be the default currency of oil, um, and how that ties into all the oil crises of the seventies, and then, but they kept going, and that, like, you know, that's the the whole scandal is that you know they probably should have stopped a long time ago. Maybe a little bit of a recession to ease off uh, inflation might have been fine, but to drive it to the levels that they did. Uh, really drove things into the into the ground, um, and, and and crushed a lot of industries. And the people just didn't have money; couldn't let borrow money at all because of the pro- cost of money. And whether they had to look to you know foreign sources of capital, and just uh, how that led to the buying spree of American businesses that they were being bought up and consolidated. And uh, well, that's a, a lot longer story there, but. Um, that, that's that's what we have for inflation this week. I uh, hope you enjoy. We'll be covering uh, some more topics on that in, in days to come.